I'd love it if you turn in your Bibles to uh, the letter of um, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. And um, I guess, you know, I, I once said, and this was a flippant thing to say, I'm never going to preach on Ephesians again. I, and and I, 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 it was flippant and it was silly, but you know, we, we, this is the kind of real go-to passage of Scripture, isn't it? Uh, Ephesians is... It's like the fair face of Paul's theology. You know, it's, it's easy, to, it's, it's not that easy to understand, but it's, it's, it's palatable. You can get into the book of Ephesians and understand it. And so it's a, it's a go-to. People t- teach on Ephesians quite a lot. And one of the reasons we're going to teach on Ephesians at the moment is because of the success of the Alpha Course. And, uh, you know, if there is an easy on-ramp for people who've just come to faith, this is, this is it. What does it mean? What does it mean? to live a life of abundance. What does it mean to live a life with Jesus in a culture that doesn't get Jesus? It's big, isn't it? What does it it look like to look like Jesus in a culture that doesn't look like Jesus? And may even be hostile, even though it doesn't know it, to the things of Jesus and what Jesus is trying to to do. And that's why this letter is so important because it gets to the heart of it. It says, this is who you're called to be if you're called to follow Jesus. And this is what it means if you're going to walk with Jesus. And so um, there's some stuff Paul says that you need to know about you that's going to be a game changer for the way you walk with him that's going to make a marked difference to how you live in this world. Does that make sense? There's some stuff you need to understand about who you are now because of who God is. There's going to be a total game changer about how you walk with him in a, in a, in a, in a daily sense that's going to make a radical difference as to how you interact with and engage with a world out there that doesn't, that doesn't know him. And Paul starts with identity which made that a really good introduction. (laughs) Paul starts with with identity, and I'd love to read just um, a few verses. Now, what you need to understand is that when we read these first few verses of Ephesians, Paul, um, I think probably in in an uncharacteristic way, gets really excited. You know, so there are other letters that he writes where he's very reasoned and rational. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he just gets really passionate and excited about who God is. And what we have in Ephesians 1, 3, all the way down to 14, is, is, is like um, uh, an, a non-programmed spew of praise. And, and we know that's true because in the original language, there's absolutely no punctuation and no grammar. It's just, you know, you know when you just... Bleh, it just comes out of a deep place, and you don't reason it. It just, it just, it just flows out, and that, that's what we get. There's no, um, and the, the the scholars have tried to put punctuation in, um, but we're supposed to read it with no breath. You know. Anyway, let's read it. <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And if this was a, a, a black Pentecostal congregation, people would be, Whoa! because, because that's, that's the feel of it. I mean, I'm not making this up. In him, he takes a breath, you are also chosen, having predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So let me pray and then let me try and explain that. So God, we, we still have this audacious belief that this word is not just words on a page. It's not dry, it's living, it's active. And even today, having sat around this verse, these verses for years, um, it, is still, it still has truth to speak to our hearts, to change our minds, and to make things different. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. So I think Paul wants to start with identity, which makes this passage of Scripture so totally apt. Because 2,000 years later, much of the chaos that we see in our society could actually be described as an identity crisis. Set up by this, this kind of perfect storm of infinite choices. We have so many choices that we can make in any given moment, but you couple infinite choices with no definitive truth, and we have no way of making those choices. And then you add into the mix a rampant, out-of-control individualism. You know, you just do you. Truth is truth only as you say it's truth. Self becomes the grounds of all moral authority. And, and then you add on to that this invidious, incessant comparison in a culture where our, our young people are being schooled by Instagram and marked by likes and follows. You have this crisis going on where people just don't know who they are. Because no one's allowed to tell anybody who they are. You've got to work it out for yourself. And you can be anything. And because we don't know who we are, we don't know what we're for. And so we have this crisis going on in our hearts and, and, and our lives that, 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 that almost becomes suffocating and gets worked out on a micro level, but it also gets worked out on a macro level as when whole nations don't know who they are and argue about who they are. <laughs> and so Paul says that 
This is really fundamental to everything that we do. This is fundamental to every aspect of your life. That you work out in the deep places who you are. Most of us on the day we were born got called something. I was called Carl Andrew. To my mother, I was Candy. <laughs> Fortunately, it never stuck for very long. But, but usually, um, the name that you get given by your parents doesn't end there. You get named again and again and renamed again and again, and some of those names are not helpful. You know, you're fat, you're stupid, you're a loser, you're a loner, you're an idiot, and, and worse even, you probably got named a few times. And then the thing is, when you grow up, you get named yourself by other things, by the job that you do, by the, the people you're around, by the qualifications that you've got, and you name yourself. But, but here's the thing, only God has the right to truly name you. Because he's your creator. It's really interesting to me that both John the Baptist and Jesus were given to earthly parents. Those earthly parents were entrusted uh, with, with these wonderful boys. They got to teach them and discipline them and speak destiny in them. But there was something God didn't allow the parents to do. They were not permitted to name their boys. Father says his name will be John. His name will be Jesus. Only God has the right to name you. And so Paul starts his, his whole letter where he's going to talk about what it means to live a Christian life, what it means to live in a, in a world which seems in opposition to, to Jesus. And he says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In other words, I am who God says I am. God tells you who you are. God tells me who I am. Not the culture around me. Not the philosophies that would limit me and pull me and dictate to me who I am and what I've got to be. But equally, not the tradition behind me that will seek to conform me to what has been before. I am not who my mother was. And I am not what my father did. I'm who God says I am. And not the people who need me or even the ones who love me or the, or the ones who have ambitions for me. They don't define who I am. Only God can say who I am. I am my primary identity. Listen, this is really important. My primary identity doesn't have anything to do with my gender. It has nothing to do with my class. God is no respecter of where you were brought up, what school you went to, and what your bank balance is. Your primary identity is not even your skin color or your sexual orientation or your practice. They may dictate some of your identity, but it's not your primary, primary identity. Your primary identity is not your marital status or lack of it. Your primary identity is who God calls you to be. The creator calls you, the son who came to rescue you, the spirit who lives in you says that you're a child of God. And of course, I'm not stupid enough to think that that's it. There are other things that get layered on top of that. But if it doesn't start with you are a child of God, you are deeply loved, you will always live in insecurity, you will lack purpose in your life, you'll struggle to find it, you, you, you will struggle not to live in and out of fear unless you start from this place of identity. That's where Paul starts. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. God is a Father. His, his, I mean, this is very simple. 
But here's what I need you to understand. The scripture's ultimate revelation of God is that he's a father. And it's, it's huge, it's huge that we get this. Because you will not know who you are and they, therefore you will not do what you're supposed to do until you understand who he is. Because you can, you can spend the whole of your life running away from the God that isn't or, or trying to worship a God that isn't or trying to please a God that isn't. But, but the, the ultimate revelation of the scripture is that God is, God is a father. You know, let's just do a little bit of history. Um, the, the revelation of God God to his people Israel starts in a kind of growing sense throughout the whole of history. And at the very beginning, the name of God is pretty enigmatic. When people ask who God is, he says, I am who I am. Well, that's very clear then. <laughs> you know, I, I am who I am. And I don't think he's being obstinate or stubborn. He's saying something about his faithfulness. He's always going to be who he said he's going to be. He's not going to change. No one started me, no one finishes me. I, I, I am the definition of originality. I am who I am. But as the people of Israel grow in their relationship with God, God starts to add endings to the beginning of his name. I am who I am and I am the provider. In other words, I am Jireh. I am who I am and I am peace. I am shalom. I am who I am and I am perfect righteousness. I am Tzkenu. I am who I am and I am perfect coverage. I am Shammah. And as, as Israel journeys through the desert, God, every time they need something more, he gives himself a different ending to his name. It's like God is saying, I need you to get this, but if I gave you the full exposure of this right at the beginning, you'd be freaked out by the whole thing. So I, I need you as you grow in relationship with me to understand who I am. And, 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 then, and then along comes Jesus. And in John's gospel, we, we, we hear this, that no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. In other words, Jesus says, if you want to see what God is like, you need to look at me. And then Jesus plays the same game. He says, I, I, I am the I am. Yeah. And then he starts to add different endings to his name. Remember this? I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he starts to say, this, you see me, you've seen the Father. It's really fascinating to me and really important for us that Jesus' primary revelation of God is that he's a dad. 189 times in the New Testament, that's the name that God, that Jesus uses for God. He says, doesn't he, if you have the greatest privilege in the universe, you get to talk to your creator. And he gets to talk to you. It's called prayer. And when you pray, you start by saying, Abba, Father. You know, God has all this power. He has all this awesome power he has all these perfections all these securities but it, but it all comes in the skin of a father and it's not just some kind of distant removed father it's it's intimate relational understands you totally loves you completely it's he couldn't love you anymore father and just in case you don't get this Jesus most famous story of of all of his stories is the story of that we call the prodigal son, but should probably be described as the prodigal father. <laughs> probably should be described as the prodigal father. 
And what Jesus is trying to do in the story of the prodigal father is a number of things, but primarily what he's trying to do is to say, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. God is a God that however many times you reject him, however far you go away from him, he will always be there waiting. And if he sees one moment of a turn towards him, he will come running in an undignified manner because his DNA is grace. That's what the Father is like. So Jesus says he is the, he's the perfection of fatherhood. Not, not the reflection of fatherhood. In other words, when you hear he's a father, he's not some kind of slightly better version of your earthly dad, however good your earthly dad is. He's like the perfection. You know, I, I, I want to be the perfect father. And I am so way short. You interview any of my girls. They, they will tell you. you know, and I, I, as a perfect father, I'm, I'm supposed to provide protection. And I just can't be there. You can't, can you? You can't be there all the time. I'm supposed to provide pr provocation. I'm supposed to whisper destiny. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to provoke encouragement. I'm supposed to t tell them how amazing they are and what they can do. And, and I try, but I'm, I'm always going to fall short of that. Because I also say some wrong things. I'm supposed to provide perfect provision. I'm supposed to en enable them to run with it. And I, and I can't do that. I've got four of them. <laughs> And I'm supposed to be this perfect example, and, and they, they see me. My best moments and my worst moments. But, but Father God does perfect. And so Paul says, and now we're in the passage. And so Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And then he kind of does this thing where he just pours out. And what he wants to say is, you need to know who you are. You've been adopted as his sons. Now, now, now don't get hung up on the, the language of a sexist culture. He's not meaning just the boys. It was a patri patriarchal, patrilineal culture where, where only the boys really got blessed, only the boys really inherited. And so, but he, so he's not saying it's just about, you know what I'm saying. He's saying, you've been adopted as his children. And you're the heirs of, of God. And then, and then he does this whole thing, and we've got to do this quickly, but he does this whole thing about what that means for us. So, so eyes down. Look, verse 2. We get to live in his grace and his peace. In other words, as his children, we don't have to perform to get his love. We don't have to conform to a certain standard. He, he loves us because he loves us because he loves us. And, and, and we get to walk through the chaos and crisis and storms in this life holding the hand of the one who is called peace. Who carries peace. See, see if you walk through the storm with the Savior, you can endure the unsettling with security and come out the other side. I'll say that again. If you because it was good. If you walk through the storm with the Savior, you can endure the unsettling with security and come out the other side. And when you come out the other side, what, you, what happens is you've grown and you've proven something in your heart and your life that will set you up for every other storm that's coming. And that is this, that you get to live in grace and peace. 
So in other words, it doesn't actually matter ultimately if you get this in your heart, what comes down the road at you, because you have a father. And you know that he is able and you get to live in grace and peace. Paul says, this goes on. He says, we get to live in satisfaction and contentment. Verse 3, this is, this is huge. Because we live in a world that is not satisfied and not content. And actually, we have a culture that makes money on us not being satisfied and not content. So we need bigger, shinier, faster, and latest. And although we're smart enough to have discovered that rather than offering the satisfaction it promises, it leaves us with the very opposite experience. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? It's like drinking salt water in the hope that it will quench our thirst. It just makes it worse. But Paul says this, he, the father, has blessed us, his children, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In other words, we have all we need in Jesus. And let's take it further. I don't need Jesus plus a great job. I don't need Jesus plus a great relationship. I don't need Jesus plus anything else. I may have all these other things, and they're not bad, and they may have been given to me, and that's a great gift of God, but I don't need Jesus plus anything else. See, if I'm banking my satisfaction and my contentment in these things, I will always be short in my account. What I need is Jesus. And if I've, if I've got God on my side in my life, I've got all that I need. And when I've got God, he is able and willing to supply all I need according to his riches in glory, which is incredible. Paul says, because he's a father, we get to experience transformation. Verse 4. He chose us in him to be holy and blameless. Listen. When you got joined with Jesus, this incredible transformation happened. When your life was hidden with Christ in God, this incredible transformation is happening. You, this is important. You stand not any longer in your own unrighteousness. You don't stand in, in, in your own not good enoughness, which is not a word, but I, I'm going to use it. But you stand in his rightness, his good enoughness. Which means this, you don't need to live in guilt or shame anymore. You're good enough because he's good enough. And, and every call that he makes on your life to live up to that is on the basis of the fact that it's already true. You're good enough because he's good enough and he's just inviting you into the reality of your life. H however much you want to, you can't change the start of your story. You ever thought that? I, I get, I don't know whether it's just me getting cynical, but as I get older, I get kind of more and more frustrated with like New Year hype. You know, New Year, New You. No, same old you. You're not gonna, you can't change your, your, can you? I mean, maybe, maybe you can, I don't know. But, but you can't change the start of the narrative. You can't change where you were brought up. To whom? You, you can't change what happened in the, your early years of life. You can't, you can't change that stuff. But in Christ and because of Christ, you can change how the story ends. Your father might have been absent, but you don't have to be. 
You could be the first generation of your family who is fully present with your family. Your family of origin might have been violent or chaotic or bound or fearful, but you don't have to be. You can go work some of that stuff out and you can not pass that stuff on. Your background might have been full of fear, and your, but your future doesn't have to be because he chose us to be holy and blameless and he did something and you have a father. That makes sense? Three of you think it does. And then Paul says this, but you get the experience and the freedom and the wonder of forgiveness. Verse seven, everything you ever did Everything you ever did that limited grace and peace. Everything you ever did that limited satisfaction and contentment. Everything that masked the true image of God in you can be, has been, will be forgiven. Which just means you don't need to live in shame and guilt. Everything you ever did that separates you from a perfect father, forgiven. No shame. No shame. Paul says, because of your identity, you get in on the plan. Look at verse 9. He made known to us, his kids, the mystery of his will. Which means it's not a mystery anymore, according to my mind. And, and, and his incredible purposes. And he goes on to describe what that is. He says, to unite all things in him, to restore all things, to, to mend all things, everything that got broken in our lives and in our world and in our creation, as a result of people not knowing who they are and not living their best lives, everything that got broken gets restored in him. And here's, here's the deal you need to understand. The very revelation of this plan is an invitation into the plan. So the very fact that you get to know this thing is an invitation for you to participate in this thing and say, you, you, because you're forgiven, because you're chosen, because you're loved, because this is who you are, suddenly you get to play in this restoration of all things, the people around you, the situations around you, the communities around us, because you have a father. And then Paul says this, because you're his child, he wants to give you his power that all this stuff might be possible and not just a ranty sermon. Verse 13 and 14. A good father wants to give his children good gifts and the best father wants to give you his best gift. So Paul says, open your hands and open your heart and here's the Holy Spirit who guarantees that all these things are not just true and possible, but he makes them so. That's his praise. And then just look down at verse 17 with me. Paul having, having said, this is who we are. And this deals with some stuff. He then, he then prays for the Ephesians and he says this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
That word, that word to know is the Greek word epignosis. And it's only interesting because there are two, there are two Greek words for the word knowledge. There's the Greek word gnosis and the Greek word epignosis. And, and there's a difference between the two. The, gnosis is, is to know something, to know about something. It's knowledge. But epignosis is to know something. It's knowledge and experience. It's knowledge, it, 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 when you get, you know what I, what I mean by you get something? Epignosis is you get something. And so I think Paul is saying, I, I, I know that, the, that these believers are going to know this stuff that we've just talked about, but it's going to be of no use to them unless they know this stuff, unless they understand. You see, you can know about God, but do you know God? You can know about forgiveness and write an essay on forgiveness and even preach a sermon on forgiveness, but have you experienced that forgiveness that changes your life? You can know about adoption, but if you allowed yourself to receive adoption, which changes your whole status and your whole identity. You can know about the Spirit of God, but have you received the Spirit of God that dynamizes Dynamizes? That's a great word. That dynamizes everything that we've been, we've been talking about. You can know about love, but have you experienced love? Because until that happens, all this just becomes an interesting intellectual exercise that you go away. It doesn't actually change your identity, your purpose, your security, your future, and your life. And so when the storms of life come, and they're going to come, you fall over because it's just gnosis. It's not epignosis. You haven't proven it. You haven't received it. It hasn't changed you. And so Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know him better. Because that's a game changer. I want you to get this. And so that's what we're going to pray right now. Let's pray. If you're able, would you stand with me? And so, Father, I thank you that you're my dad. I thank you that my primary identity is not anything I think that I have been given or anything that I have achieved or not. Or anything anyone once spoke over me or didn't. That my primary identity is that you see me as your son. And I thank you for the transformation you've done in my life. And I thank you for the forgiveness you continue to pour into my life. And I thank you for the healing all over my life. And I thank you for your invitation into your plan. And I thank you for the power of your spirit. And I pray for everyone in this room 
that what they know currently about God will become what they know of God. And what they know about forgiveness will become their experience of forgiveness. And what they know about adoption will become the reality of their life in every area. And where there is insecurity, it will become security. And where there is fear, it will become faith. And where there is powerlessness, there will be power. Because you open the eyes of hearts and minds to get it. And I ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Oh,